Most of our lesson this morning is going to come from the book of Genesis and the story of Jacob. Mostly I'm just going to tell Jacob's story this morning with the idea of Romans 15, 4, 4 or 1 Corinthians 10, 11 in that perspective. That these things have happened to them as an example for us and these things were written down that we might be instructed by them. I was reading a devotional on Jacob and his wrestling with God at the River Jabuk. And when I finished reading the article, I was touched and I was angered and I just wanted to throw the book off to the side and say, I don't want to be humble. I like me. And I got on the author. He's from the Dallas Theological Seminary and I don't agree with their teaching and all kinds of good reasons why I shouldn't listen to what this man said except for the fact that he had talked about the truth and it touched me. And that's where the idea came from that be transformed like Jacob. He was at the river <clears throat> Jabuk at a place that he called Penuel which was the ford or the crossing of the river. You want to look at how he got there and what does that transformation that he underwent look like and what does that mean for you and me so Isaac had a couple of sons Jacob and Esau and Jacob was a well-rounded man and he was Rebecca Isaac's wife's favorite son Esau was a hunter and he was Isaac's favorite son and Esau was the firstborn but he sold his birthright to Jacob and then Jacob, later on, steals Isaac's blessing. So first of all, I want to look at the difference in a birthright and a blessing. So what is the birthright? Well, it's the firstborn, and obviously the firstborn is born because God had him be born first, so it is a God-given ordination in the family. The firstborn is the preferred son. He gets a double portion of the inheritance, and he gets mentioned or a part in the, the genealogy. That is, everything that comes after him is credited to him. So all the sons and all the good things that they do later on are part of his lineage, part of his, his heritage, part of his reputation. And what is the blessing? The blessing is the culmination of the birthright. It's the final contract. And Jacob is blessed, excuse me, Jacob is blessed by Isaac at the end of his life, or near the end of his life, but a deathbed vow is irrevocable. And that's something that we, in modern America, much like a birthright, because we don't have favored sons who get all of the inheritance, is just not part of our culture, not part of our understanding. Things that are irrevocable there's nothing except for death in our society. You can sue over anything. I don't like that. I'm going to sue you. We're going to change it. This happens in our society all the time. And we don't really understand the irrevocable promise. And that causes us not to understand the irrevocable promises of God in some degree. 
that we do have these promises. And we fail and we come short often and we want to, to kick ourselves and say, oh, well, we're just not saved or we're not good enough to go to heaven. And that's not the point of, all, of it all. The point is God's grace gives us a promise of eternal life. And yes, it does to a degree depend on what we do, but we'll never earn our salvation. The grace of God is the irrevocable promise that we have if we do His will. So at the time that Jacob thinks he's going to die, excuse me, Isaac thinks he's going to die, he tells Esau, go hunt me a meal and I will give you a blessing. And Rebekah, Isaac's wife, overhears this. And she wants her son, her favorite son, Jacob, to have the blessing. So she sets out a plan to steal the blessing for Jacob. And Jacob hears of her plan and he says, well, what about the curse? If I get caught doing this, I'll be cursed. And she says, don't worry about that, I'll take the curse for you. Which I really don't think would have happened. He would have been cursed had he gotten caught in this plan, which he sort of did. But he did end up because he got the blessing with the birthright and the inheritance because it was irrevocable once it was given to him. But they tell lies. Rebecca goes and gets Esau's clothes and she clothes Jacob with them. She goes and gets goat skin and she puts them on the back of his hand, on the back of his neck because Esau was a hairy man and Jacob wasn't. And then when Jacob goes before Esau with the stew that Rebekah had prepared for him, which was goat and not wild game, but she had convinced, she had seasoned it to taste like the wild game stew, he takes that to his father and says, here's the stew I brought you. And he says, who are you? And he says, I'm Esau, your son. And he says, okay, are you sure? And he says, come, let me feel you. So he touches the back of his hand and feels the goat and says, okay, you are Esau. So he gives him the stew, and he eats it, and he gets the blessing. But twice he asks him, who are you? And he says, I'm your son Esau. Esau comes back from hunting, and he says, Father, I'm here for your blessing. Isaac trembles. He says, oh no, I have just given the blessing to your brother and the blessing he will have. And Esau says, oh, please, please bless me. And then Jacob says, no, I've made him your master. You'll live by the sword. You'll live in an infertile land and you will serve him. Esau is furious. I'm going to kill him. So then Rebekah goes and deceives Jacob again, excuse me, Isaac again. She says, these sons, that es or these daughters of the Hittites that your son Esau has married are driving me crazy. If Jacob does this, my life will be worthless. Send him back to my people so that he can marry into the tribe. And so Jacob says, oh, that's a good plan. Sends Jacob on off to Padam Aram, Aram to marry into the family, but Rachel had already told him he was going there, so she deceives Isaac again. So deceit after deceit. She tricks him and sends Jacob. And then Jacob blesses Esau again, or excuse me, blesses 
Isaac blesses Jacob again as he sends him off to marry into the family. And just a, a side note with the Hittite wives here, that Jacob married these Hittite women when he was 40 years old. And at the time of this blessing, these twins are actually 77 years old. We think about Jacob as a young man as he takes off to marry into the family, but he wasn't. He was 77 years old, so that means one of two things. Either Rachel was a mature woman, or it was a May-December romance, and there was a big difference in years amongst them. Don't know which it would be, but I, I was caught up with that fact in this study that I had not ever realized before. Anyway, so Jacob takes off on his way, and he comes to the city of Luz, and it's closed up for the night. So he takes a rock, puts the rock under his head, sleeps there, and there he hears God's word. God appears to him. The story is the story of Jacob's ladder. I'm not going to dwell on that any any great length. But he Abraham, God repeats Abraham's promise to him, and Jacob knows that God has communicated with him. And as we take this as a lesson for ourselves, we can know that we do communicate with God. He doesn't necessarily send us visions, but he does communicate with us through prayer. So Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And then he renames the place from Luz to Bethel. And Bethel means the house of God. So he gives it a name to glorify God. And the first verse of chapter 29 actually translates, oh, let me back up here. He makes a vow to God and says, if God will be with me and keep me and give me food and clothing and safety, I'll give him 10%. This is either a very shallow vow or it says, be with me so I can serve you to God. And I think that the vow, although he thought it was, be with me so I can serve you, he was acting as if it was the shallow vow of, give me this stuff so I will serve you in the end. Which really did happen, but he didn't have a good spiritual mindset at that point in time. In verse 29, chapter 29, verse 1, he says, he lifted up his feet and went on to the land of the sons of the east. And he had just worshipped God and put oil on the stone and made it the house of God there. And he had worshipped. And then his feet were lifted up and he went and he met Rachel. But if you think about what should happen to us when we worship, our feet should be lifted up. We should come out joyous and, and be bopping on our way, thankful that God has given us the grace that he has given us. So he meets Rachel falls in love, there's not time to move the stone off of the well yet, and all the men are supposed to come and move the stone, but Jacob moves the stone by himself. I think he may have been showing off there just a little bit for Rachel. And it was a very physical attraction, not a, a spiritual one. And he moves the stone, they water the sheep, he goes and meets Laban, his father-in-law, his uncle, and Laban says, well, your kin... What should I do for you? You're not going to work for me for free. And he tells him, says, let me work for you for seven years for your daughter Rachel. 
And he says, oh, good plan. Rather give her to you than some foreigner. Then the deception happens. First it was mom, Rebecca, and Jacob getting together to deceive Isaac. Then it's the father, Laban, and the daughter, Leah, getting together to deceive Jacob. The folly comes back on the fool. Let's turn back on his head. The same thing he did to his father and his brother was done to him by the father and the daughter of the girl he was going to marry, the sister. Do you think Leah didn't know? Do you think Leah didn't know? Do you think Laban didn't have any idea that this was not something that was deceitful? They had clear and obvious idea of what was going on the same way that Rebecca knew exactly what was going on. It was contrived. And I don't know what you guys think. You can decide on your own what you think about what they were thinking when they hatched these schemes. But I know in my heart when I decide to hatch a scheme, I know what's happening. It's what James 1 describes. We are enticed by our own lust. I am enticed by my own lust. When lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin gives birth to death. Second Corinthians 13.5 tells us to test ourselves, to see if we are in the faith, to be sure that we examine ourselves because Christ is in us. And these people, I'm sure, had some sense of self-examination going on, but totally ignored it, and the sin was brought forth. But as we examine ourselves, don't forget what 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 4 says, that it doesn't matter who judges us. Even if we judge ourselves, that is not of consequence. The only thing that matters is how Christ judges us. And we are not acquitted. That is, we are not forgiven of our own sins just because we don't know them. So Jacob gets deceived. He marries both of the daughters, the, first, the oldest first. And for a long time, I thought that he worked another seven years and then was given Rachel. But what the, verse, the scripture actually says is, you go through this wedding feast for the daughter, Leah, and then at the end of the wedding feast, we'll give you the other daughter, and then you will work for me for seven years. So he actually had both wives within a couple of weeks. I think Laban just wanted to party for a couple of weeks, but that's a different story altogether. So he gets and then works the seven years, and he's ready to go home. He's ready to go back to be with his family. And Laban appeals to his lusts. He says, what about your family? Stay with me and work with me some more. I can see that you're profiting from this. You can profit me. And Jacob is thinking, yeah, I can provide for my family. So he stays and works for him for another seven years. And he's deceitful in the way he works for Laban. He takes the sheep and the goats, and he says, I'll take the striped ones, and those were the fewer. 
and the whites and the blacks will be Laban's. And then he manipulates the herd. He takes the strongest ones and breeds them for himself. And the brothers end up seeing, that is Laban's sons, the brothers of the daughters, end up seeing that he's stealing their inheritance by these false animal husbandry practices that he's doing. And they get mad. Laban changes his attitude towards him. And so Jacob calls his wives out into the field where they can't be heard. And he says, God appeared to me again. And he said, go home. Go back to the land where I sent you. And the girls say, yeah, well, Dad squandered all the money, and he treats us like foreigners, and we might as well go with you. And this recording of this conversation is really the first time that they have a reasonable conversation. The entire 14 years, actually 20 years before that, it's been nothing but squabbling. She's got my stuff. He's got, she's got more kids than I do. Give me kids or I'll die. And Jacob gets angry with Rachel when she says, it's your fault that I'm not having kids. So it's just been a family quandary from the beginning. So he grabs the wives, the goods, the goats, the kids. Not the goats' kids, but the wives' kids. And he takes off, going back to where he came from, the land of his fathers. And on the way out, Rachel grabs the household idols. What in the world is important about these household idols that Rachel would grab them? And you know she lies about them later on. I don't know if it was an out-and-out lie, but it certainly was a deception. The household idols represented the inheritance. If you had the household idols, it was the same as the deathbed vow. You were guaranteed the inheritance. So as Jacob is stealing the inheritance, Rachel grabs the idols and makes sure that he's going to get the inheritance. Laban's off shearing the sheep when they take off. He catches up with them, and first thing he says is, why'd you steal my idols? I wanted to get the inheritance to my son. Jacob says, whoever has them, you can kill them. He about put Rachel to death at that point in time, but she managed to, to get out of that one. And he humiliates him by going through all their stuff, looking for these idols. And finally, Jacob's had enough. And he says, look, I've worked for you. You've changed my wages. You've done me wrong. You know last night God appeared to you and said you weren't going to be able to hurt me. God has judged between you and me, and I'm going on. And Laban says, you know, you're right. God did judge. It still is all my stuff, and I could kill you, but because your God told me not to, they make an agreement, set up a pillar, and again, Jacob worships God. He moves on and gets to the river and realizes that he should do better. He has been acting just like Laban, and he knows that he is of, of God. He's chosen of God, and he decides to do better. God appears to him again and says, you're coming into my land. And that's pretty much all the angel says. God's presence is here. And so Jacob knows, Esau is going to know, he comes into the land, so he sends a message to Esau and says, I'm coming back home, and 
the messengers come back and said, Esau's coming to you with 400 men. And Jacob just freaks out. He's like, he's coming to kill me. He worries. He spends, he takes hundreds of animals and sets them up in stages to send to Esau so perhaps he will buy Esau's good blessing. He plans for disaster. He crosses the river with his wives and children. And then he alone is left in the camp. He has done everything he could to try to make sure that things went the way they were supposed to be. But he hasn't asked God what he thought. So God comes to him and cannot prevail over him. Jacob would not submit to God. He would not, the angel could not prevail over him. Now whether the angel is a theophany, God himself, or a messenger of God, there's some debate about that, but it doesn't really matter. It's still a message from God. And then the angel reaches out and touches him and about rips his leg off. It hurt. It hurt terribly. And then the angels, he says, you must bless me. And he says, I'm going to leave you alone. The angel tells him, I'm going to leave you alone. That is, Jacob had met his match. And with prayer and tears, he submits. But before he submits, the angel asks him, who are you? This is God's representative. Do you not think that this angel knew who Jacob was? Who are you? And he says, I'm, I'm Jacob. It's the same question God asked Adam and Eve in the garden. Where are you? God knew where they were. God knew who he was. He wanted to hear it from their own mouths. I've humbled myself before you. And that's why he asked him, who are you? And if you think back to the beginning, when Isaac asked him, who are you? He said, I'm, I'm Esau. No, now he says, I'm Jacob. I was just like Laban. And he confessed. And then God gives him a new name. He's gone from being Jacob the supplanter, the deceiver, to being Israel. And Israel has multiple translations, one of them being prince with God, another one, another one strives with God, and one perhaps is God rules, but my favorite, and I think applies to the story here, is let God rule. That is, he had become, tried to start becoming submissive to God at this point in time. He's broken, he limps away. The fact that he is the lineage of Christ is proven by the custom of not eating the sinew. But he was able to walk away with God as his partner. From here, the story is going to start to become Joseph's story. That's Jacob's son through Rachel, his first son through Rachel, and the rest of the book of Genesis is going to cover Joseph. But Isaac, or Jacob's still there as part of that story. 
And life is tough. And that's what we see as Joseph takes over the story and Jacob's still there. Especially with, or in spite of transformation, So the story is, Esau comes across the river. He's reconciled with Jacob. They each go their separate ways. On the way, Rachel dies. And while she's dying, she gives birth to Benjamin. And then the boys bury their father together, having been reconciled. And he goes on to Sukkoth. And things happen there that are important to the lineage, but we're not going to go into it. If you get a chance to study that, by all means do. And then God says to him, you go to Bethel and build me an altar there. So Jacob gets up and goes to Bethel. Jacob's sold into slavery. Excuse me, Joseph's sold into slavery. And Jacob thinks he's dead. He's irreconcilable. He's mourning. He's not doing anything except for protecting Benjamin from anything in the world. Benjamin is there. Jacob is there. And they are not doing anything except for not being subject to anything that might cause harm to Benjamin. Then the famine happens. Joseph has gone off to Israel, become the second highest leader in the world, has all the grain stored, they send the boys off to get grain. And of course, you know the Joseph story. We're not going to go too much into that, that he sends them back and leaves Simeon there. So now Simeon and Joseph are both dead. Jacob is like, you're going to steal my entire family from me if, and you guys just aren't going back. Then finally, when they're on the verge of starvation, Jacob lets go and says, you guys go on back and get us some food. He humbles himself. He's back at the same place he was at the river Jabuk. He sends gifts to the Pharaoh the same way he sent all the gifts to his brother Esau. And he prays. I didn't mention the first prayer at the river Jabuk, but he prayed. He prayed a humble prayer. And this was the first time that he had reached out towards God, was at the river. And now he does it again. He prays a prayer that the boys will be successful and they will all be blessed. He finally quits trying to control everything and lets God take over. And he's about to be completed. He's about to become the transformed man that God wants him to be. He finds out Joseph is alive. His family is restored. So what happened at the river? I want to look back at that for just a minute as we conclude. Hosea 12 gives us some insight onto what happened here. The prophet Hosea is calling upon the nation of Israel to repent. And he uses Joseph as an example. Excuse me, Jacob. I keep getting all my brothers and sons mixed up in this one. I'm sorry about that, guys. Uh, he uses Jacob as an example. And he says, In the womb he took his brother by the heel, but in his mature, maturity he contended with God. 
Yes, he wrestled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. And he found him at Bethel. And he even spoke to us. Yes, the God of hosts spoke to us at Bethel. Therefore, return to your God. So he humbled himself. What about Esau? Hebrews 12 gives us some insight into Esau. In verse 14, he says, Let there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit a blessing, he was rejected because he found no place for repentance, although he sought it with tears. I want to go back to Genesis 27. I'm going to pick up in verse 30. And hear what Jacob, excuse me, hear what Esau says when he's told that Jacob has stolen his birthright. Chapter 27 of Genesis, picking up verse 30. Now it came about as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had hardly gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau his brother came in from hunting. Then he he also made savory food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of my son's game, that you may bless me. And Isaac his father said to him, Who are you? And he said, I am your firstborn, Isaac, Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was he then that hunted game and brought it to me, so that I ate of it before you came and blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. When he heard the words of his father, he cried out with exceedingly bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also. Oh, my father. He said, Your brother came and deceitfully has taken away your blessing. He said, Is it not rightly that he is named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. First he took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And you have not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac replied to Esau, Behold, I have made him your master, and all his relatives I have given to him as servants. And with grain and new wine I have sustained him. Now as for you then, what can I do, my son? And Esau had said to his father, Do you only have one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, my father. So Esau lifted up his voice and wept, and then Isaac answered his father, Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of heavens from above. And by the sword you shall live, and your brother you shall serve. But when you become restless, it shall be that you break the yoke from his yoke from your neck. Esau would become restless and break the yoke. And if you know the story of Herod, Herod, the one who would put Jesus to death, the one from Jacob's lineage, was Herod the Edomite. He was a descendant of Esau. And he did all he could to break God's plan. Jacob's bones were buried with his father. And that is a very important thing in the Old Testament because that is part of the salvation of their belief. He met Pharaoh 
and blessed him. The father of Joseph blessed the ruler of the world? He was God's agent, as we are. Galatians 29 tells us that those who are baptized have clothed themselves in Christ and belong to Christ. And we are Abraham's descendants and heirs to the throne. So we do have a direct relationship to Jacob through the Christ that Esau's heritage tried to put away. So in Hebrews 11:21, by faith Jacob blessed leaning on his staff and worshiped. We are blessed to bless. We are blessed to worship. Jacob prayed. He sacrificed. He set monuments. He changed the name of places to glorify God. His name was changed to glorify God. He leaned on his staff because he was hurt. His hip was messed up from when the angel touched him. And when the Lord, the creator of the universe, God Almighty himself, touches us, it hurts. It should hurt our pride. It should hurt our me, myself attitude. And it is better to ask now, who am I? and to be transformed rather than wait for the judgment which we all shall give an account for God to ask us, who are you? And that is all I have for you this morning. Let us sing a song of encouragement.